from Overlake. My name's Fabian. Let's stand together and worship our King. Yeah. 
sing open our eyes open our eyes Lord let us see all that you are all that you need open our ears Lord let us hear all that you are be loud and clear please be
God, we are so grateful that you are a good God, that when we are faithless, you are faithful, that when we mess up, you are perfect, that when everything around us is shaking and falling apart, God, you are constant, you are steady, and you are good. So this morning, we place our hope and our trust in you. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Welcome to Overlake on this dreary morning. Um, well done, you made it to 920 service. Yes. I am so excited that you're here. We're gonna do something really special this morning, so stay standing for just a second. Um, but first I wanna direct your attention to this connection card um, that was in your handout when you came in this morning. If you call over like your home, then you know what this is, um, that it's our best way to stay connected with you, that we'd love for you to fill this out during the service and then pop it in the buckets as they're passed later on. But if this is your very first time, I would love for you to fill out as much as you can and then hold on to it during service. After we're done here, you can exit straight through these doors in the back. There's going to be a connection center and someone who would love to um, just exchange that card for a gift, our way of saying thank you for worshiping with us today. So if you have that connection card, did you guys get that card? Um, what I want you to do is grab it and turn it around to the back because I want to highlight some exciting opportunities that are going to happen this fall. While you guys are, are pulling that out, Felix and Lloyd, I'd love to invite you up on stage with me. And as they're coming up too, I'd love to invite all of our Rooted and Raices graduates, you know who you are, come on up as well. Let's welcome them as they come up. And Felix and Loida, so right up here, Felix and Loida, if you don't know them, are our um, Spanish ministry leaders. They teach Raices, which is our Spanish membership class. We um, teach that alongside English um, rooted membership class. And so if you um, have never been a part of Rooted, or if you've never experienced Rooted, or you've just maybe heard of it, I want to just give a brief explanation. Rooted is our Overlake's dynamic membership pathway. And that's just a fancy way of saying that you're invited to the family. Everyone is invited to be part of the Overlake family, whether you are new to church, new to Overlake, or you've grown up in this building. Um, this is your next step this fall. And so this is our um, class that just graduated within this last year. <laughs> and, <laughs> and we're so excited because it is becoming part of the family. Over um, the course of eight Sundays, you get to learn about who Overlake is, what we believe, what we value. You get to meet over 12 different staff members and hear about their stories, um, their ministries, maybe get to know what's hap what happens in this building on a weekly basis. Um, and most importantly, we connect with Jesus. We learn about um, the Bible. We discuss scripture together and we get connected connected to others um, in our neighborhoods and in our, um, our cities and our parishes. So that's a bit of what Rooted is. If you're interested, go ahead and mark that on the back of your connection card. And now I'd love for Felix to talk about Raices. Is this on already? All right, perfect. All right. Um, good morning, Overlake. Buenos dias, Overlake. <laughs> so mi nombre es Felix Ponce, como mencionó Cara, y bueno, mi esposa Loida Ponce. Estamos muy emocionados de estar aquí. Estamos muy emocionados eh, de poder ofrecer por tercer semestre Raíces este otoño. Si tú no estás familiarizado con lo que es Raíces, bueno, Raíces es el camino dinámico hacia la membresía en Overlake. 
lo cual es una manera muy bonita de decirte, estás siendo invitado a ser parte de esta familia o de nuestra familia. So, si tú eres nuevo en el área o quizá tengas toda tu vida asistiendo a la iglesia, tu próximo paso es raíces este otoño. Durante el curso de ocho domingos estaremos escuchando y aprendiendo de más de 12 miembros de nuestro equipo y también de sus ministerios en la iglesia. Y lo más importante de todo esto es que vamos a estar compartiendo tiempo conectando con Jesús. Vamos a tener la oportunidad de acercarnos más a Él, de tener una relación más íntima con Jesús. Así que, si estás interesado, por favor asegúrate de marcar en tu tarjeta de conexiones la cual se te fue otorgada esta mañana. Por mi parte, de antemano, te doy la bienvenida a Overlake, uh, que es una familia maravillosa. Estamos muy contentos de ser parte de, de esta casa tan especial. Así que por mi parte, te doy la bienvenida. Bienvenidos a Overlake. Dios les bendiga. So let's do this. Let's give them a big welcome. And as they're the new members of the Overlake family. <laughs> and then what I'd love you to do, we're going to head to connect time. So why don't you greet someone next to you and ask them if they've taken rooted or raices yet. Go ahead and do that now. Have a seat. It is wonderful to be with you today. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors on the team. You might want to grab your notes out of your handout and you'll see we're starting a series about how we understand the Bible and what understanding the Bible is all about. And as I begin, um, I want to just let you know that when I was growing up, every single summer, my family would pile into this 19-foot-long Chevrolet Impala and we would travel across America. We, we, my, my grandparents and my relatives all lived in the middle of America, and we were always on either the east or the west coast. So I have been across the United States of America more times than I can count. And by the way, I, I, I've been in almost every state in our union. And if you have not been to every state in our union, you just need to know this, that, that really one of the most beautiful corners of America really is Washington State right here in this area. I mean, I'm, I'm being really honest with you. I refer to it as God's backyard, which is why he keeps it so well watered. But the... The idea is this, that if you, you think about a road trip across America, you would cover some vastly different and beautiful terrain. So I just want you to think about this. You would, you would cross coastal lowlands and solitary mountains and mountain ranges, redwood forests or mangroves uh, in swamplands, agricultural plains. You'd, you'd cross deserts and rivers and ultimately you'd end up at another coast which would not ironically look a whole lot like the coast that you left when you started. 
And just like that sort of variety of, of temperate and, and topographical nature in a massive United States road trip, I want you to know that a journey through the Bible will yield the same sort of variety and local color. And it's important to understand, it's important for us to know what it is when we are in each stretch of the Bible, understanding what is it that God is up to and how under his Holy Spirit's guidance we are to apply it into our lives today. So today, what I'm going to do is begin a three-week, it's a three-week series, a three-week review over the most incredible book ever written. And by the way, that's not hyperbole. That's actual true. This Bible, and if you have your Bibles, grab them, because this is, it's all going to be about the Bible. The Bible literally stretches from the beginning of the universe to the end of the world. It's written over a 1,400-year span of time. It's written by a variety of human authors, over 40 human authors, inspired by God's Holy Spirit. It is, each of these authors is living in a unique time with a unique setting, writing with a unique personality and cultural tone and vocabulary and context. And what that means is that the Bible is more than just a single book inside two leather covers. It's actually a collection of books, which is why we call it the Bible. I don't know if you've ever thought of this. The Bible, it's the same root as the root for bibliography, which means a collection of book sources, or if you speak Spanish, biblioteca, which is a collection of books itself. So that's what we have when you hold the Bible. It's this collection of books, and, and so it's important for us to understand how is it that we read this book, and how is it that we understand what we're dealing with, so that we can, as we road trip our way through it, apply it appropriately into our lives. Because each part has a nuanced type with a nuanced purpose for a unique setting. But I just want to skip to the very end. You need to know, you might want to write this down. The hero of the book is singular, it's Jesus. The entire thing is written so that the hero is Jesus. And so each and every part, we're going to see that there is a pointing toward God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, who provides his salvation through death, burial, and resurrection. So I want you to think for a second, picture right now, the ecological difference between, say, the Cascade Mountain Range, the Mojave Desert, and the Everglades. Right? Quite a variety there. And I want you to understand that when you open the pages of Scripture, you need to know that the Bible's literary and cultural variety is vast, and it's gorgeous. So the types of works that are within this book um, are this wondrous prehistory that starts the whole thing off, some beautifully accurate history that scholars in all disciplines use to set historical timelines by. You've got law and cultural architecting. You've got proverbs and, and poetry. You've got personal stories, which are testimonies. You've got the mundane and the miraculous. You've got the good, the bad, the ugly. Some of it's prophetic. Some of it's moral. Some of it's educational. And if you know how to read this roadmap, then you'll find that it's all helpful. And it's all beautiful. And it's all relational. Because it's inspired by God, it actually allows us to enter into deeper relationship with him and to experience the love of God more fully. 
But you probably already know this. It all starts off with these words, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. That's where it all starts. It all starts with God. God who is above all and before all and sustains all, it all begins with him. And if you know the beginning of the story, you know that he speaks the universe into existence. Because I want you to know this, that the first words of the story are God's words. And the last words of the story are going to be God's words. You need to know that's true in your story as well. The first words in your story are God's words over you. And the last words in your story are God's words over you. It's, he's the one who is telling this incredible story. And his words are creative and they're powerful and they're unpredictable. And the type of narrative that we find in the first few chapters of the book of Genesis is what scholars refer to as prehistory. And the reason why it's referred to as prehistory is because it takes place before recorded history begins. It, it takes place before civilization is formed, before writing is invented, and even before anybody was around to witness it. So the first portions of Genesis are referred to as prehistory, and there is a purpose behind it. So let's be really, really clear about what we're reading. It reveals that we are created, not accidental, but created by a good and glorious God, the fingerprints of glory are still upon his creation. And, and this is a God of love who has this perfect relationship with his creation. But sin enters and shatters that perfection. And so that perfection is shattered within creation. That perfection is shattered within our hearts. And it's shattered with our relationship with God. And so if you're filling in the blanks, the purpose of prehistory is to set the scene for the human predicament. To set the scene for the human predicament. And the scene is this, that sin has entered the world and there is now this separation between us and our loving Heavenly Father. Amen. So that's the beginning of the book and it moves quickly into the next type of writing, if you're filling in the blanks, which is this. Buckle up. It's the law. Okay, we move into the law. And this is known, if, you, if you're familiar with the, the, the scripture, you'll know that the first five books of the Bible are known as the Pentateuch. And they are the social and theological legislation. They are the ancient covenants between God and his chosen people. First a covenant with Abraham and then a covenant with Moses. I do want you to note that they weren't chosen because they were special. They were special because God chose them. And so these are the books of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And in this stretch, by the way, this is why I know God loves road trips, because he took Israel on a 40-year road trip during this time. And along the way, God reveals his law, his Ten Commandments to Moses, and then more commandments about how his people are to live in a barbarian land as God's holy people, how to facilitate tabernacle worship, and it goes on and on. Now, God's gift of the law to his people is a gift that is in two parts. The first is this. The law is actually a form of grace so that his people would understand what behavior is good and pleasing to God and what behavior isn't good and pleasing to God. He gave, the, he gave the laws a form of grace so that his people wouldn't always be worried. Is God pleased with me? Is he angry with me? Is he pleased with me? Is he angry with me? You know, in the ancient world, there are all of these mythology of capricious gods where people were never knowing how to please them. And so what God did was he said, here's the law. 
Here's what good life looks like. And then the second cause of the law, or the gift of the law, is it's a foreshadowing that even though mere mortals cannot keep the law perfectly, one who is coming will keep it perfectly. And that's the purpose. The purpose of the law is this, that we can't fulfill the law, but one is coming who will. Again, it's looking forward. It's a pointing ahead. And God's people had hearts of stone and they were unable to fulfill the law. But there would come a day, God told them, when he himself would fulfill the law and replace their rock hearts with hearts of flesh and lead them into a deep and intimate relationship with himself. So those are the road rules for Israel's road trip. But then after the first five books, it shifts again to another form of writing. This is the next fill-in. On this road trip, we pass historical landmarks. And so you will see in this next portion the kingdoms of the promised land. You'll see landmarks. You'll see memorials ordained by God in order to help God's people remember the faithfulness of God. You know, I always think it's interesting. God doesn't need memorials to help him remember how faithful he is because he knows how faithful he is. We need memorials to remember how faithful God is. Are you with me? And so I want you to think about the first book in this portion. This is the book of Joshua. And if you remember, as God is leading the, the people of Israel into the promised land, they cross the Jordan River. God makes it dry. He lets them cross on dry land. And then he has each tribe pick up a big stone from the middle of the river. And they're to take that stone, and when they camp that night, they're to use those stones to build an altar, to build a memorial. And what's it to signify? It's to signify God's faithfulness to his people, that he has led them into the promised land so that they don't forget his provision, so that they don't forget his leadership, so that they don't forget that God is with them and that God is their king. Are you with me? And then what did the people do? They forgot. Thankfully, we never forget, right? But they forgot, so they needed the memorial. So I want you to remember that this is the, the human predicament. This is what sin does. It helps us to forget that God is our king. And so if you go into the next book, which is the book of Judges, you see that the people, they forgot they had a king. God was their king, but they forgot that God was their king, and they did evil in his sight. And, and I put a couple of verses there, Judges 2.11, Judges 3.7, Judges 3.12. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. Once again, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. Right? I'm so glad we're not like that today. And you see, even though God was their king and God was their provider and God was their protector, they wanted a human king like all the other nations that they were surrounded by. And so, if you remember God in his kindness, he did just that. He gave them a king. And so he raised up a king named Saul. And Saul was, you know, and, and, and he was followed by another king, a king that God chose named David. And he was followed by another king, a king named Solomon. So this is a threefold monarchy. And by the way, if you want to make a designation, this is the golden era of ancient Israel. Each of these kings served for 40 years roughly. And so it's a 120-year stretch. Under David, the kingdom was expanded. It was solidified. Under Solomon, there was incredible wealth and growth. And there's just this incredible, you know, beautiful picture of what it looks like. But then after Solomon, if you remember... The kingdom became divided. 
It was a divided kingdom. In the north, they identified themselves as Israel. In the south, they identified themselves as Judah. And so there was this divided kingdom with a succession of kings in both of these places. And I want you to know that these kings, some of them were good, some of them were bad, some of them were moral, some of them were immoral. Some of them served God, some of them served idols. Like they just, it kind of was a hodgepodge. Even the best of kings had feet of clay and some fatal flaw. And, and so all of this was going on and, and just kind of unfolding year by year by year. And what I've done is I've just unearthed, you know, a thousand years of human history to you. You're very welcome. You didn't know that was coming, Joel, did you? You're like, oh, okay. Didn't realize what I was signing up for today. All right. But here's the thing. Just like the law points forward, there's a purpose for all of this history in Israel. The, there's a purpose for the kingdoms earthly in Israel. What they're doing is they're showing the limitations of human government on a fallen planet. And what the kingdoms of Israel are pointing forward to is they're pointing to the need that we have as human beings for another type of kingdom and another kind of king. And the purpose is this, if you're filling in the blanks, we long for another kingdom. We long and yearn for a divine king. And so as you read through the history that's found in the Bible, you'll see that this is the underlying purpose, that there will be a day when the one true king arrives. The litany of kingly leadership is merely a precursor to the king of kings and the lord of lords. Are you following me? And so, so it's pointing ahead. On this road trip, next we travel through a scenic route. And the scenic route takes us through poetic wisdom and praise. The scenic route takes us on a meandering journey through poetic wisdom and praise. This is called by scholars the wisdom literature. And it includes poetry, it includes praise, spiritual and practical advice. It includes the heights of human experience and the depths of suffering and depression. You know, I want you to think about road trips in America and maybe just cast your mind back. You know, it used to be that people, they didn't drive to make good time, they drove to have a good time. This actually sounds foreign to us today, but do you realize that there used to be a thing in America called going for a Sunday drive, right? Like that's not even a thing anymore, right? Now we just want to make good time. If you want to make good time, take a plane. That's my advice, right? But the idea is you can, you can actually have a good time and you, you can soak it in and you can enjoy the beauty and the variety that's all around you. You know, every year for the last eight years, my dear friend, uh, Christopher and I, we go out on the road, we take a motorcycle trip for about three or four days. And we'll either go in Colorado or we'll be here in Washington, but we just want to go on the emptiest highways we can find. And we just want to soak in the beauty of God's creation. When you come to this wisdom literature and the scripture, that's what it's for. It's for just soaking it in. It's for reading it and experiencing it and emotionally connecting with it and, and understanding that God knows who you are as a complex human being. He knows your highs and he knows your lows and, and he understands where we need wisdom and how practical living is something that all of us need all of the time. And so this wisdom literature, it includes, like I said, the depths 
of our experiences as humans. And so it has books in it like Job and like Lamentations, which talk about suffering and depression and going through the most difficult of times. And then it has like the, the, you know, philosophy like Ecclesiastes. It has the heights of love, like Song of Solomon. And then it has, of course, the Psalms, which are the heights and the pinnacles of our praise to our loving Heavenly Father. And then finally, Proverbs, which is just straight wisdom to be applied into our lives. And Proverbs 3.13 says this. It says, joyful, and you might want to circle that word. Joyful is the person who finds wisdom, the one who gains understanding. See, if we get wisdom, if we have understanding, we will be, say it with me, joyful, right? And that's what God wants for us. And of course you know that this world is filled with proverbs. And you probably know many proverbs. You know, don't spit into the wind. It's a good proverb, right? Uh, Don't eat yellow snow. That's a good proverb. Um, How about this? Uh, Don't ask a woman if she's pregnant, right? That's a a good proverb. Uh, That only takes you one lesson to learn, doesn't it? Yeah, or in my case, twice. But... uh, and I've learned it, though. I've learned it uh, to absolutely, completely. Now, I don't even care, you know, how massive or if a little fist is coming out to fist bump. Like, I will not ask when you're due. It just won't happen. But you understand that there's these proverbs that are wisdom for us to learn. And, and, and you might have thought as you go through the book of Proverbs that all they are is simply practical advice for how the ancient Hebrews might live a good life. But did you know? that they were actually preparing the Hebrew nation for the arrival of Jesus, who is wisdom personified. See, look at this proverb. In Proverbs 30, verse 4, it says, Who but God goes up to heaven and comes back down? Who holds the winds in his fist? Do you know of a story when Jesus said to the wind, Be still? Who wraps the oceans in his cloak? You know a story when Jesus said to the waves, Stop. See, who's created the whole wide world? What is his name and his son's name? Tell me if you know. Wow. Thousands of years before the arrival of Jesus. And I want you to to read this verse from John 1.14 and see how it's the answer to the question that Israel was asked. So the word, wisdom incarnate, became human and made his home among us. Talking about Jesus. He was full of grace and truth, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Isn't that beautiful? So you see that thousands of years before Jesus arrives on the scene, Proverbs is pointing to the Son of God, the embodiment of grace and truth, of of wisdom. He's pointing to Jesus. And then I want you to think about praise. I want you to think about David writing out of the overflow of his heart this incredible, lavish praise, this honor, this glory, this adoration to the God that he loves. And, and you know, he, he wasn't intending to write the songbook of Israel. It just became the songbook of Israel. There was just was so much that was absolutely a part of that cultural reality, and they wanted to use it to praise God. And, and, and you know that God dwells in the praises of his people. God meets us there as we adore him and are devoted to him. And, and so as we go through the book of Psalms, it's just one more encouragement to praise God all the time. 
to praise God everywhere, to show up on Sunday and praise Him, but to praise Him all week long and, and to let your heart cry out to your Savior and your provider, to your King and your Creator. And I want you to see that even the poetry of Psalms points us to the Messiah. You see, there was one who was coming of the line of David, God had promised, who would reign on David's throne forever and ever. These are God's words in Psalm 89. He's speaking about David. God says, I will love him and be kind to him forever. So he's, so he's, he's loving David in this psalm. My covenant with him will never end. And then look at this. I will preserve an heir for him, someone of his lineage. His throne will be as endless as the days of heaven. Who's going to reign like that? Jesus himself, right? So here's what I want you to know. The purpose of the wisdom literature is this. Both wisdom and songs of praise point to Jesus. That's the purpose. So the wisdom and the psalms of praise point to Jesus. And God was promising David and the nation of Israel that one of David's line would come. And he would reign forever. And of course Jesus of David's line does come. And the last section of today's road trip, and some of you are saying, well, thank God, is the prophets. And so that's what we're going to end our time on, is talking about the prophets. The prophets are a signpost for construction ahead. So I want you to think about street signs for a moment, and the different street signs that, that are up from time to time. Think about a caution sign, or a yield sign, or a speed bump ahead sign, or falling rocks, right? Think about those signs. And what do they indicate? They indicate that something is coming up ahead that you are to prepare for. Are you tracking with me? And then, you know, this is a sign that I don't know what to do with. I, I don't know if you can show this picture. It's the sign that says blasting zone ahead. What do you do to prepare for the blasting zone you're about to enter? Kids, duck and cover, you know, like... Uncle Ned didn't prepare for the blasting zone, and his Ford Focus was disintegrated. You know, like, what do you do to prepare for a blasting zone? Hand out helmets? I have no idea. Does anyone know? What do you do? How about this? Turn around. Go the other direction. That's what I say. All right. So here's what's happening. The, the, the prophets who were led by God's Spirit were trying to help the people of Israel because they, they were, Israel was in a wandering state, kind of a permanently wandering state. And so the prophets were saying, you know what, get ready, guys. There, there's some construction ahead. God's going to build you. God's going to grow you. There's going to be challenges, and God is going to bring you through these times. By the way, if, you're, if, if you want to just jot this down, prophecy is a little bit misleading. So I want to tell you what most of the biblical prophecy is. Prophecy is 90% forthtelling, 10% foretelling. So 90% of it is foretelling. In other words, the truth is being told forth. It's, it's exhortation. It's challenge. It's conviction. 90% of it is just this prophet saying, it is time for us to return. And then 10% of it is actually foretelling. In other words, speaking of future events. Uh, predicting what it is that God will do and the events that will unfold. But God used prophets all through the kingdoms of Israel, from a united kingdom through the divided kingdom until the kingdoms were conquered in 586 B.C. And even as the people of God were taken into captivity and eventually allowed back, the prophets preached and they spoke and they wrote this consistent message. 
And the message was something like this. If you don't return to God, if you don't stop worshiping false idols, if you continue to be adulterers in your heart, in your relationship with God, you may cease to become God's people. And the warrior nations will come and they will surround you and they will conquer you and they will carry you off. In other words, they kept saying there's construction ahead. And God is going to grow you and you're either going to grow willingly and humbly through it or you're going to grow through your pain, but you are going to grow. And it says, so it's a difficult message and it's a challenging message. God's saying, look, Israel, you guys can either do this the easy way or the hard way. It's a little bit like, you know, growing old. We're all going to grow old. Can't change that. And the, the question is, how, how would you like to grow old? And so th- this is one of those things where God uses prophets, and he uses them for centuries. You might remember Samuel's a prophet who anoints the first kings of Israel. Or Nathan's a prophet who confronts David in his sin with Bathsheba. You've got Elisha and Elijah who are prophets preaching against the idolatrous kings and queens. You've got Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. We call these the biggies, right? They, these guys, they had a lot to say. God used them powerfully. You've got Daniel. Daniel, by the way, spent most of his life in exile in Babylon. But these are just a handful of people speaking on behalf of the Lord through the centuries of ancient Israel. And then you've got the minor prophets. And if you want to know who the minor prophets are, they're the prophets whose names you don't remember, Okay. If you want to read the minor prophets, you're going to have to use the table of contents and, and look it up, find the right space. It's just kind of how we are. They, they've got Obadiah and Zephaniah and Zechariah and, and uh, you know, th- these are the guy, Malachi. I always imagine that the name minor prophets is a bit of a slam, don't you think? Because you're in the best-selling book of human history. That should be kind of major in and of itself, don't you think? And so uh, to call him my, I just, it just feels like that's not fair. You know, I can't imagine when we get to heaven and we're like, Obadiah, hey, uh, weren't you like a minor prophet? And I can just see him go, you know, Mike, I, 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 weren't you like a minor preacher? You, you know, like, uh, it's, not, it's not that fair. So, but, but here's what I want you to understand about these guys. The, the question is, why would God use all these prophets? Why did they consistently cry out that there was construction ahead? And here's the purpose behind the prophets. The purpose is that the prophets pointed towards rescue. They constantly pointed towards rescue. They constantly pointed towards rescue, and then again and again and again in the prophets, what you see is they didn't just point towards rescue. They pointed towards God's rescuer. They pointed us to the person of Jesus specifically. And so say in Isaiah 53, Isaiah writes, There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. It's about Jesus. It's about the life that Jesus lived, the life of humility, a life of poverty. You know, Jesus didn't live in a palace. He didn't eat fancy food. He didn't wear fancy clothes. He was, he was plain spoken, and he, he had rough carpenter hands, and, and he lived humbly. He was a salt of the earth guy. And you fast forward to the crucifixion, and, and you see the entire populace of Jerusalem shouting, crucify him, crucify him, despising him and rejecting him. And What harm has he done? It doesn't matter. Crucify him. See, there's something deeper going on here. Something that was written 
before, you know, ages before this event happened. And we keep reading in Isaiah 53, verse 4, yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. We thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins, but he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We've left God's path to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. See, what's happening here? You go back to the very first fill-in, the very first pages of Scripture, and you see that the scene is set for the human predicament where sin has come in. And yet what we see here is that God is taking care of the sin problem of humanity. He's resolving our human predicament. Because God and sin cannot coexist. There's an impossibility of a perfect and holy God to coexist with sin. Sin is just destroyed in his presence. That's to anyone who clings to sin and and, and, and because we're sinful people. And, and so this analogy is of two things that don't mix. God desires relationship with us and our deepest desire is relationship with God. But our sin and God's holiness cannot commingle. And so I want you to think about two things that don't exist, that cannot coexist. It's even more of a harsh analogy than, say, oil and water that don't mix. It's more like gasoline and flame cannot coexist. That's how it is with our sin and a perfect God. And something had to be done about it. And so God said, you know, I'll take care of it. I will pay this price myself. The debt of sin, God has taken upon himself the price for our rebellion. Jesus said, I volunteer and I will take it upon myself. And we're going to cover this more next week. And I really hope you come back. But I want to wrap this up and I'm, I want to talk about where this road trip goes as you meander through the pages of the Old Testament. You know, each portion we've just covered is treated just a little bit differently as you apply it into your lives today. But it's all fueled by the Holy Spirit of God. And it is all helpful. And that's why I I want you to, to kind of look up at the screen. I want you to meditate on this verse for a moment. Let's go ahead and pop it. This is Psalm 119, 105. It says, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. You see, because we are on a road trip through this life, and so God has given us his word. Inspired by him, it's it's light for our path, and it's a lamp for our feet. So, So that we don't get tripped up all the time. So that we can see just a little way ahead. We can't see the whole pathway. We can't see the whole road. But we can see just enough in order to help us walk in the way that God wants us to walk, so that we can live in wholeness, so that we can live in joy, so that we can have relationship with him. See, that's why God has given us this word. I remember once, just out of college, I was on a trip with my buddy Barry, and we were, we were road tripping all the way through Central America looking for surf, and we were riding buses and trains. We were, you know, renting vehicles. We, we, one, you know, we were on a boat at one point. We took a plane, like, just we kind of all over the place trying to get through these jungles to the beaches, you know, for waves and uh, noble, noble pursuit there. But as we were going through, I remember one night we were taking an overnight bus from Puerto Escondido, Mexico, down to Antigua, Guatemala. 
and it was an overly crowded bus. Everyone was slammed in there, and it's overnight, and we're driving through these empty roads, and all of a sudden, as I'm trying to sleep the best I can, you know, shoved into my corner, I notice that the bus has stopped in the middle of this vacant road, and I look ahead, and I realize that the driver is kind of moving around and looking in the glove box, and he's muttering to himself, and it appears to me, as I look ahead, that our headlights have burnt out in a pitch black road in the middle of southern Mexico. We have no headlights. And so I just kind of watch for a moment and, and the driver finds a flashlight in his glove box and he opens the little window by him and he holds the flashlight out the window and he shifts into first and begins to drive again. Now, this is not a commentary on, like, you know, safety standards anywhere else. I, I, all this is to saying, you know, he drove slowly and carefully, and he made it safely to his destination. He didn't have, like, light for the whole road. He just had enough to see right in front of him. And I was thinking, you know, that's not what we prefer we want to see the whole trip. We want to see the whole journey. We want to see everything that God has planned for us. God, in his infinite wisdom, has chosen not to do that for us. But he has given us a light for our path. He's given us a lamp for our feet. And just seeing this little bit in front of us, day by day by day, helps us to journey all the way home. Amen? Amen? So I want you to understand that when you grab this book and when you open it up, you're, you're holding something that literally, this is a unique experience on the entire planet. There, there's nothing else on planet Earth that's like this book. Because when you open the pages of this book, you are entering into this epic saga of God who chose a nation to birth a son to save the world. And that means that there was a purpose and a plan before the foundations of, of the universe were ever laid down. That means that the underlying power holding all things together is love. And that means that centuries and millennia before you ever showed up on the planet, that you were held in God's heart. That he knew you and loved you and prepared and planned for you. And Jesus came and, and he gave his life for you. And, and he came and he provided salvation for you. And he came and he invited you into relationship with him that starts now and lasts forever. And so I want you to understand that there is nothing accidental about this universe. And there's nothing accidental about you being here today. And I don't want you to miss this moment. God loves you. He knows you by name. And he is inviting you into deeper relationship with him today. All right, don't miss this. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. And we just want to say to you, Jesus, that we are so thankful. We want to say to you, Jesus, that we are so thankful that the Bible is about you that you are the one who volunteered to take our sin and our shame. You're the one who volunteered to take our guilt. You're the one who volunteered to take everything about us that, that we are uncomfortable with. And you took it from us. 
And then in its place, you gave us your grace and your forgiveness. You gave us your cleansing and your righteousness. We are so thankful for that. And Jesus, right now, as we are here in prayer and there is a single spotlight from heaven onto our souls, we just want to say individually before you right now, we give you our lives. We give you our lives. Jesus, we give you our lives. We ask that you would continue to use your word, continue to use your Holy Spirit to reveal the things about us that we need to lay down, that we need to walk away from, that we need to let go of. Continue to bring us into a deeper and more loving relationship with you. We want our lives to shine with your love. Thank you for the purpose behind the pages in these words. And would you allow us as we open the pages to really experience a deep and a meaningful relationship with you. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this book. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for working through it so powerfully. We pray all these things in your precious name. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. 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 Well, friends, the entire opportunity we have is to praise Jesus with all of our lives. So I want to invite you right now. Why don't you stand and let's continue to praise him this morning.
hope such good news such good news you can take a seat and as you do why don't you go ahead and grab that connection card that was mentioned earlier you just have a few moments to fill that out reminder that on the back there are ways you can get connected here at Overlake and you can check that in a moment we're gonna continue worship with our giving of our tithes and offering before you we do that I want to just tell you a little bit about why your obedience and your generosity matters to student ministries uh, I work with teenagers from the age of 11 to 25, young adults also, and your generosity matters. Every year we take 300 students to summer camp, um, and about 25% of those students receive a scholarship. They go to camp because of you. Your generosity, your obedience makes it possible for them to go to camp. That's amazing. Uh, students, for whatever reason, get to go to camp, hear about Jesus, know that they belong to the body of Christ because of your generosity. And so beyond, on behalf of them, I wanna say thank you. Thank you for giving. And then I also wanna say, we wanna be a ministry that never says no, that never has to say no to a student. So I wanna encourage you that your faithfulness, it matters. And as you look in that handout about where we are in our giving and what our needs are, you need to know that impacts students. That students are deeply impacted by your generosity and their opportunity to hear about Jesus and know that they belong here. So I'm gonna invite the ushers to come and they, they're gonna receive our offering. 
And as they do, I actually want you to hear from a recent graduate in our ministry. Um, not only does your giving matter, but your time matters. Your time matters. See, in student ministries, we believe that we want to be the safest place for every and any student to know that they are loved, known, heard, supported, and challenged. And here's the key part, by a caring adult. They need adults in their lives. And so I want to invite Sam Riley up to me. She, up with me. She just graduated. In a few short months, she's going to head to Australia to attend Hillsong College. And I want you to hear a little bit from her about the role of her small group leaders in her life. So Sam, why don't you tell us about your student ministry small group and your leaders? Yeah. Hi, guys. I'm Sam. Um, my small group had about 15 to 20 girls in it, and I consider all of them my sisters. And we had three amazing leaders who were just there for us every single day, who were texting us, who were praying for us, who showed up every Wednesday night to group life. They brought us snacks every week. It was great. Um, <laughs> but even after graduating out of high school and leaving the, like, student ministries bubble or the high school like I still am in contact with them and I'm still going through life with them whenever I have a prayer request I still text them I text them like every week they might be sick of it they're probably not I don't know I think they love me I don't know <laughs> I hope <laughs> but yeah they're amazing I couldn't have asked for better leaders and I don't think I deserve it but they're just they're amazing they were there for me every day that's awesome and Sam why would you say to all these people they should consider serving in student ministries. Yeah, I mean, from what I've heard from my leaders, it's challenging, it is. Like high schoolers and middle schools, middle schoolers are really stubborn and they can be a little bit like, you know, hard to manage, but it's really, you get a lot out of it too. Like I got to lead a middle school camp in the winter camp and I was with them for three days and it was amazing and life-changing just hearing their stories and getting to minister to them and getting to share Jesus with them was just, amazing and not only did it help them and it brought them to closer to God but it helped me as well and so if you like minister to a small group you're going to grow so much out of it and you're going to help the new generation just come so much closer to God. Thank you Sam. Will you thank Sam for sharing her story with us? We are a few weeks out from starting our small group sessions, and I want you to know really practically that we have a few spots that we need adults for. In both middle school and high school, for example, we need male leaders for our sixth grade group and male leaders for our high school boy group. So we are in need of leaders. So if you are interested or you have questions about how to get connected in a lot of ways here at Overlake, there are gonna be opportunities over the next few weeks in the hallway. As you're exiting, you can see the student ministry shack is out out there and you can talk to somebody about what it means to be a leader or you can find out information about joining a life group. So I'd encourage you to do that. And as always, after service, there are people available to pray with you. So as you exit, you can exit on the second floor and you'll see signs for the prayer area. Why don't you do this? Why don't you stand with me and let me pray a blessing over you? Now, may we be people who walk with confidence by the light of God's word, reflecting the hope and the joy of being people who have been rescued by the love of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.